Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. guest is Laura Hadley. She is the executive director of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation for Utah and Idaho. And I think you're going to really enjoy her take today on leadership. Uh, the questions we're going to focus in on is how does she lead while at the same time do life of those who she serves? Um, what I've really was impressed with with Laura is that she doesn't just run an organization and try to be as efficient as possible. She does life with those that she serves. I mean, she is going to the hospital. She is on Facebook. She talks about how she kind of got rid of email in a sense because all of her clients and the people that she serves are on Facebook. So she's constantly on Facebook interacting that that's how she communicates. She also mentioned something interesting that a lot of her clients are in the millennial generation. A lot of them are parents of kids with CF. And so she ends up engaging millennials and will share with you um, some interesting solutions and ideas of how you too can engage millennials uh, with your organization and your nonprofit. And the bottom line is I think you'll walk away from this podcast knowing better how to integrate your heart with your desire to lead an organization. Laura does that really well and you're going to enjoy the show today. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. Uh, Laura, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Rob. You got it. You know, we've been friends now uh, through our UNA connection. We're both on the board for the Utah Nonprofits Association. And Laura also... Uh, highlights or moonlights, that's a better word, moonlights <laughs> as uh, working with TV uh, journalism a bit. That Talk was, about that just as for fun here. Yeah, I mean, that's always what people are interested in hearing. That was my background, was um, doing uh, television work, TV production work. Uh, I've done a lot, traveled a lot with that. And through that job, um, and then doing Utah Jazz broadcast games, became friend with, friends with Coach Sloan's wife, Tammy was on the board for cystic fibrosis at the time. One thing led to another. We started to talk. I wasn't really looking to make a change, um, but the opportunity to have a whole second career was appealing to me, and so I made the jump. I made the jump and still get the opportunity to, to do a little bit of TV work here and there, so it's enough. Well, I'm so glad that I was going to ask you, like, how did you move from that into the nonprofit world? So it's interesting to find out how you did that. So talk a little bit about that. Um, how long have you been in your role and what's it been like to serve in the nonprofit sector? Well, um, it, I've been in that role for just over six years. Um, it, it's been a big change, you know, going from uh, a corporate environment where you knew exactly where all the bodies were buried, you knew exactly how to get things done, to you know, being the idiot that's standing in front of this little tiny desktop copy machine going, what do I dial nine? How do I get this thing to work? Where's the IT department? Where's the shipping it's department? Just you. And you, and there you, is no IT department. <laughs> no, there is not. And having to, to figure all that out has been a, has been a change, but we, I mean, we do have some support with our national office, which is nice, but, but that was a big change. Um, 
you know, I worked and served on a couple of boards before, and so that really was my um, my experience and what opened that up. And then I was in the production work I was doing, I was working with a lot of nonprofits, and so that's that's how that happened for me. So volunteers volunteerism for me opened up a a whole new career that I wouldn't have dreamed. It wasn't a plan, but you know, like so many other things in my life, it was just another happy accident. That's so fun to hear that, that you went from a volunteer into now a full-time role. And that's happened a lot, actually. We've had guests on the show and same kind of experience where they've either had a personal experience with a nonprofit they're now working for or a volunteer connection, and that brought them into now a paid position. So, you know, the key theme, as we mentioned before, uh, was how do you lead your nonprofit in order to engage millennials? It seems like this is something that continues to pop up in our interviews, even when that is not the main topic. So I thought I wanted to ask Laura those and just focus on that for our primary theme today. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit with your organization um, specifically. So first, maybe though, dive into the mission of the organization. How has it changed and how are you engaging millennials because of the changes in your organization? Well, I mean, I think it's an interesting relationship with millennials and cystic fibrosis because of a couple of things. One, cystic fibrosis is a rare disease. It is not it is not cancer. We don't have, you know, that touches so many people's lives. Uh, it's rare. There are 30,000 people in the United States. There are just under 400 people in the state of Utah who are impacted by cystic fibrosis. However, we have one in 30 of us are carriers of that recessive gene. So most people have no idea CF runs in their family, and they get uh, have, a, have a child, maybe have a second child, get that call from the hospital, and, um, you know, coming and are asked to come back for additional tests, and then receive the news, which is, is devastating. It's not news that anyone wants. So because of that, we're a little unique in uh, our needs and what we're doing. Uh, our primary focus is on research and quality of life for CF patients. And so with that, um, where I really engage millennials the most is I'm coming in and dealing with millennial parents who have just received devastating news. And so um, I've seen uh, that side, uh, which is really positive, how passionate they can be, how hard they will work uh, as anybody would, you know, for their kids or for their grandkids. I mean, people are, uh, as any of us would, uh, willing to do whatever they can to help moving, uh, move the research forward. There's incredible things that are happening right now. So it's, you know, there's a lot of hope involved uh, and a lot of excitement in continuing the momentum uh, that the foundation is experiencing right now. It's interesting. You probably, yeah, it's interesting how you describe that. You're really interacting with people with incredible pain and frustration, anger even. And yet at the same time, out of that, you're seeing some of the best come out of parents who will just do anything for their child. That's an interesting you know, yeah. situation to be in. Yeah. Um, when you've done that then, what, um, what are you seeing as some of the challenges for this next generation coming up? Um, you know, maybe in general, not just maybe to nonprofits specifically, but yeah, what are you seeing as the challenges? What, what kind of things are you hearing from them as you engage with them? Boy, I, you know, it's just, it's so specific. Uh, I mean, right now with our population, the big fear is the Affordable Care Act, for sure. Um, having access to care, um, you know, uh, being able to, to, 
to find care for their kids. The lifetime spending cap will become a big issue. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of fear, a lot of concern about where we're headed, and hopefully we can find a way to find some middle ground again. It's been a it's been a while um, since we've had that, and regardless of of where you stand politically. Uh, you know, at this point, there's no such thing as a leaky side of your boat. We're in this together and we, we, we need to pull together and figure out how to make it work. That is interesting to speak about that because we've had um, uh, a nonprofit that deals with um, you know, people's health clinic here in Park City, actually, that deals with people that don't have insurance. And so the Affordable Care Act obviously was impacting them tremendously. Um, now things are kind of in limbo a bit. We're not sure what's going to happen in January, but... Um, Sounds like for you, that's a big question on millennials' minds, but period. I mean, anybody involved in the organization, that's a big issue. Is, is it for them, if things revert back, kind of quote to the old way, although we probably never get to the old way, but if it reverts back and kind of uh, we backtrack a bit from what has been started with the Affordable Care Act, is that something they're looking forward to or is that actually worse? I, I wouldn't paint that group with a brush on either side of that because they, you know, I see our families having uh, political feelings on both sides of the aisle, strong political feelings like the rest of the population. And, you know, it's really just how do we move forward? How do you move forward with pre-existing conditions, lifetime caps? Got it. Okay. All right. So now back to the, the, the millennials. Now, this maybe moves you beyond just your role and your specific um, nonprofit, but you're also on a couple of boards and you've interacted with a lot of people over the years in terms of just, you know, people, both business owners and for-profit organizations as well as nonprofits. Um, what do you think are some of the um, uh, ways that the challenges that millennials face and how they interact with nonprofits? Um, do you feel like more millennials are drawn to nonprofits as a way to kind of show their heart to make the world world a better place to, to make a difference in the world? Or do you feel like they're backing away from nonprofits and doing more things uh, away from that sector? What's kind of your take on that? Um, I, I think so. But I think that they really want to have an experience where they feel like they're making a difference. Um, you know, and that for for different organizations, I think that looks differently. You know, I mean, there are organizations that can provide that come in with your large group and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, or we're going to paint a building, and, and or we're going to fill up these boxes, or we're going to have a food drive, and, and hopefully we've all experienced that, um, and we'll continue to experience that. And that's a, um, a really important component. Uh, organizations like ours, that's not really what we do, because we're not providing... Um, we're not providing that kind of a service. Uh, and so we will have events and have a great deal of success in, in um, recruiting people to participate with us. We have had a great deal of success with um, our newest event is a cycling event. And so there's a lot of excitement around that. It seems like uh, participating in an event where there's a physical component to it uh, has some appeal. So you've had success with millennials involved with that kind of an event, like a, a bike race to raise money correct, for correct, foundation. Correct, Got it. correct. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think it's just looking at what you're doing and is there something for everyone? Because not one of those, and no one should really participate in every single event we do. It's It would be too much, but, but we do have events that are crafted um, where the goals are 
the fundraising goals for people are set at different so that people can succeed. You know, it's like not um, not everybody can participate. We have a golf tournament that we've completely priced ourselves out of participating in. Is that you right? Know, absolutely. <laughs> <the> staff. Absolutely. <laughs> the staff, the board, are a lot of our board members. Um, Interesting. We have... Uh, the Chad Lewis Golf Classic, which is up at Promontory, and it's, I mean, it's, it's expensive. It's $5,000 for a foursome, and Chad has just done a phenomenal job. It typically sells out each year. It just experienced it. Congratulations. It's, it's, so it's working. It's 10th year, which mm-hmm. is great, yep. but I certainly can't afford I can't afford that kind of money for golf. <laughs> right, I hear it. Well, so, that's interesting. So when it comes to fundraising, have you found that you, in your leadership, in your role there, are you changing the way you do fundraising because of millennials? Or do you just kind of more just uh, look at the broader picture, not just millennials, and, and are finding different ways to engage people, period, not just one specific demographic? Yeah, I. you know, we are... Um, a little traditional in that, that we are pretty event oriented. We've got an annual fund. I know that that's the trend is a lot of people getting away for events from events. It's hard when it works and that it still has momentum. And so, but when people come and say, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a gala, you know, I mean, Uh our gala is in its 18th year, taste of Utah, 18 years, 18 years. Okay. That's impressive. And so, and it looks great and it looks really easy because you get all these restaurants to participate and they donate and we're at grand america and it's fancy and it's fun and we raise you know some really great money and maybe they'll try it for a year or two and then they say oh that was really hard and it's like yeah it is really hard and it would be there's just some things that would be tough to start new so i think there's kind of a a newer model that that we may not be the best example of. Yeah, so um, to list out for the listeners, uh, so how many events do you have? What kind of events do you have? Obviously, you have a bike race. You have bike the, ride, mm-hmm. yep. And we have golf. Golf in. Taste of Utah. Okay. And then we have six walks that are in different locations around the state. Okay, got it. Six different so, walks. Yeah. And have you found, again, going back to the millennial question, are the, what draws millennials more out of all those events you have? Is it the bike race? Is it the walk? What, what draws the millennials to those events? Well, with the millennials who are parents, hands down, it's the walks. Those events are super uh, supportive for families. They're able to get their families and their friends and their neighbors to kind of rally around a cause. Um, And it's just, I don't know, walks have a really great feeling about them. As as silly as they may seem from an outsider, um, you know, I see the tears in parents' eyes as they are a little overwhelmed by uh, realizing that there's a community that doesn't have a tie to cystic fibrosis that is there for them that will do what they can, you know? And I mean, that's just, that's really something when you've got a parent, you know, and it's happened a couple of times where you get a parent, they've got a brand new baby that's still in the hospital. They come down to the walk and it's like, and just to recognize that they're not alone, that they have a community of other CF parents that they can connect with, and then that there's a broader community. And, you know, I mean, Rob, I, I have a front row seat to see how good people are. I see that, if not daily, multiple times in a week for sure, you know? So Very where rewarding you just, for you. Yeah, it for is. What you do, isn't it? it is. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, it's like you you just see how... I mean, people are willing to do what they can, and sometimes it's just figuring out what it is that you need to ask 
so that they can, you know, I mean, it's just not very often I could count that it on one hand in six years, the times that people have just said, uh, no, flat out, you know, they're usually willing to do something. Interesting. And, and do you have a guess that um, everything I've read about millennials are very much um, connected to community? Community is very important to them. Do you think the fact that um, a community, a literal community, is coming around a family or two is the draw more than just the, the fact they're out there hiking and walking? Or is it the community that draws them, you think? Or is it a combination of both things? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know that they... Okay. Another thing with, with CF that's unique is that CF patients can't together um, so if you're at an outside of event outside event um, the recommendation is that you keep a six foot distance between CF patients because they're susceptible to bacteria that you and I are not and that at an indoor event that it's one so it's it's a little bit different as a disease in the sense that I can't get you know 15 kids and families together and bring in a group of volunteers or donors and say, this is who you're helping. It gets really tricky that way, and so we have to be creative, um, you know. But we we can provide that experience one on one. Very interesting. And now uh, going back to other ways, you're obviously getting the word out about your organization, uh, and that's interesting. I didn't realize that about you know how you um, physically get people together. So online, uh, talk about that a bit. Social media, website. Do you find that you're having to change, or, or have you already made changes there in order to get the message out, tell people about what's going on, and have you found that you've had more engagement from millennials because of that focus on social media? Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Okay, I have so that's, spent more, that's been a win for you is Facebook. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I spend more time on Facebook um, than I have ever, ever. You know, it's like I feel like my own personal Facebook page is a little bit about my grandkids. Yeah, that's so great. A little confession just enough, here. <laughs> it is. It's a little bit about my grandkids and then enough, you know, enough that people don't just go, oh my gosh, all she talks about is CF. But it is where I connect with CF moms. It is where I find out that that they may be struggling or that their child's up in the hospital. You so know? We're not talking emails. It's through Facebook. Facebook. It's not phone Facebook, calls. Yes. It's Facebook. Yes. And okay. it's like Interesting. you have to meet them where they are, you know, and that's that's where, and it's typically moms, not always, um, but it it is, you know, that's where I learn. It's like, oh, man, they, you know, they're, they're up in the hospital again. Um, so you have patients are, you know, it's like often in the hospital, probably about once a year for a two week stay for a clean out. And, um, you know, they see if kids look healthy on the outside, it's inside. That's the problem. But that's how I find out that it's like, you know, so you, I mean, even uh, if no it's kidding, just a you live card, on Facebook kind of, I mean, that's how you stay connected. That's that how, how you I communicate. And that's so fascinating. And yeah. do you find that beyond just the families then that are dealing with it, do you find that donors, new donors or new people that want to engage with your organization, do you find them also on Facebook or is that in a different venue? No, no, not so much. You know, it's like we, we, uh, our chapter Facebook page, yes, but really that's, that's the easiest place for our, for our parents to connect, okay. you know, these CF parents that are, yeah. that are young, um, it, you know, and it was an adjustment for me being older that it's kind of like, I know I read that message somewhere and it was like, oh yeah, it's in my Facebook messenger. I'm thinking, <laughs> who communicates that way, you know, cause it's like, it, but so it was a little bit of a shift for me where it's like, 
put send email me email mm-hmm. me and it's like they're not going to email you you just need to get used to mm-hmm. checking your your messages in facebook because they'll message you that's basically yeah. quote their email system uh-huh, it is now do you also do instagram do you do twitter do you do other social media outlets or is it pretty much uh, facebook you know we do a poor job at twitter i'm hoping to have that be one of our goals coming forward i don't it's not my thing for sure um and instagram i try and save that a little bit where it's a little bit more personal but i i do have because you do become friends with with the cf parents you know it's like as a um so with one of the other nuances with cf is if you have a child with cystic fibrosis once a quarter you're going to bring them to a cf care center the care centers in the state of utah and really in our region are primary children's and the university of utah easy if you live in salt lake not so easy if you're in the southern part That's of the state. Point. When it comes to other organizations and other nonprofits specifically, do you feel like from what you can t- tell and, and being on the UNA board and interacting with other nonprofits, do you feel like that nonprofits in order to engage millennials need to really change their leadership culture completely? Or do you feel like a lot of nonprofits are just need to make a few tweaks here and there and, and adjust slightly? What's your take on that in terms of changing the culture in order to reach more millennials? Uh, I would opt for a a slow adjustment. I think, you know, radical change is not going to ever play out really well. Uh, The other group that I'm involved with is the Salt Lake Rotary uh, Club, and then I'm on the foundation board. Um, And so there you've got a group that's at the end, other end of that spectrum and trying to figure out how to engage uh, younger, uh, you know, younger members, younger participants and and so it it is it's interesting to have that um perspective uh because it is it is a different it is a different club do you feel like yeah do you feel like they're being successful are you getting new members to join the rotary club that are in that millennial generation or has it been really hard yes and yes (laughs) (laughs) so you're getting a few but it's been really difficult But it has been difficult and it's difficult because it's a huge commitment i mean it's a once a week hour and a half lunch meeting that, um, and I was skeptical about, uh, you know, whether it was something I wanted to do either, but I have found it really rewarding. And I'm really glad that I've made that commitment and I'm involved um, as, in, as in involved in the club as I am. Uh, because I've, I've met people I otherwise would not meet. Um, that's very helpful, yeah. And okay, so one last question. So if you bump into another ED or CEO of a nonprofit and they're struggling, struggling, struggling to get the millennial generation more engaged, whether it be a donor level or volunteer level or just to find out more about their organization, what would you recommend them to do? You mentioned earlier not to make drastic changes per se, but what steps would you recommend them take in order to engage more millennials? Probably put one or two on your board. Figure out, even if it's not... You know, depending on how boards are structured. So our stru- our board has a um, a fiduciary commitment that goes along with with that position. Uh, but then I do have a couple of positions that are ex officio members where they don't have a fundraising commitment as part of that. They all do just because you get caught up in it. Um, but that that might be an idea. Um, you know, one of the 
the most successful and favorite meetings that I have is with a group of peers. So with other, there's four of us that meet that are with other uh, national, you know, nonprofit health organizations. Um, and we have, have formed a, a friendship, um, you know, through that meeting. And it's like we, it's, it's been um, really supportive where we would come in and throw out a problem whether it's I need a board member or I'm down a staff person and kind of helped each other idea, you know, like put some ideas on the table or problem solve. And that's been a really great uh, resource for me and one of the most productive uh, hours that that I have every month. Um, So I would suggest find people that are in, that are kind of similar to you that you know, you can start to build some some trust and rapport with, um, to because we're all in this together. Nobody's, you know, I, I don't I don't see that there's a a finite amount of money or a finite amount of people willing to help. And so, the more you can give, the more you get back. And interesting. So that's a great concept. So how did you go about asking them to be a part of this group? And it sounds like, let me ask you another clarifying question. First of all, so these are uh, people like yourself that are part of a national organization, but they're locally based. So these are all Correct. Salt Lake EDs slash CEOs. Correct. Okay. Correct. But they're all tied into like a larger organization that are across the country like you are. That is correct. That is correct. And then how did you connect with them? And how did you, did you initiate it? Did you just say, hey, let's get together? Or you know, that I was invited um, by an, another ED and then we've brought a couple. And so it's the idea was to not get it too big, but just, you know, four or five um, people that might face similar similar issues. And it's been interesting because we're Utah and Idaho, and Idaho is different. And they certainly want to be seen as different. They don't want to be seen as, Boise doesn't want to be seen as Salt Lake's little brother or sister. Interesting. So, so even within your chapter. Yes. And yeah. so it was interesting to have that issue kind of come out. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, don't call Boise Little Salt Lake or like you see, you know, Salt Lake 30 years ago. And it's not. I mean, right. it's its own really fabulous place. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, it was interesting and it, it kind of makes you feel a little better that it's like, oh, it's not just me that's having, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's got these nuances Dealing with these going leadership on. challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good idea. Very practical. Well, good stuff. So if people want to find out more about uh, the organization again or you, where do they go? So you can uh, look, uh, look us up on our website, which is cff.org slash Utah, um, or call the chapter office. I'm often there, but I'm really accessible. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, you that know, sounds like a real good way to connect. Yeah. Absolutely. But Fine, yeah. Fantastic. So, um, but yeah, and if there's anything I can do to, to help anybody else that's trying to uh, get started or is considering a, a career change or just as looking for what can I do or where can I get involved I'd love to talk to you about our, our organization or if I if I know of something else that might be a fit I'm happy to help yeah well again my guest has been Laura Hadley executive director of the cystic fibrosis foundation for Utah and Idaho great having you on the show and thanks for sharing your insights and thanks for all the good work you do Thanks, Rob. Same with you. Same with you. You're off doing great things, and it was great to walk in here and see all the good work that's being done in your your building and that you guys are doing so. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Laura. 
I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better. Better.